0: Welcome to This Academic Life, episode 44. If you're interested in being a sponsor, then please contact us at sponsor at thisacademiclife.org. Hi, my name is Kim Michelle Lewis. I'm a professor of physics
1: and associate dean of research. Hi, my name is Lucy Zhang. I am a professor of mechanical engineering.
2: Hi, my name is Pani Anual. I'm also a professor of mechanical engineering. Today, we are going to talk about fellowships. Fellowships are competitive, merit-based scholarships that provide financial support for undergraduate and graduate study. Many fellowships have deadlines between October and February, so we thought it might be useful to dedicate this episode to fellowships covering various questions that the students may have while preparing their package or planning for the next cycle. So maybe we should start with the question of why students should even consider applying for different
1: fellowships. The first thing that came to my mind is funding, money. <laughs> You need money to support your graduate study. I'm assuming we're focusing more on the graduate fellowships. Those typically can cover you financially that would uh, support your graduate studies for a few years, perhaps most of your graduate years uh, while you're in grad school. And many of them that I know of cover the tuition as well as uh, living stipend. So that's a huge incentive to get that fellowship. It also gives you an opportunity to have a competitive
0: edge over other graduate students who may be looking for similar research groups. So if you have a fellowship in hand and you want to join a specific research group in graduate school, it's much more lucrative, I guess, if the advisor selects
1: you because then you are bringing in your own funding. And also freedom. Once you join a particular research lab or group with your own funding, you don't have to get stuck with something that's assigned by your advisor. Oftentimes, because it's your own, you have some autonomy with exactly what you want to do if you have that idea
2: so money and power yep how about different type of this graduate fellowships can you guys mention or list some of these prestigious fellowships there's certainly
1: DOD has one I believe DOE has one too I'm not sure
2: Yes, both the okay. Department of Defense and the Department
1: of Energy have prestigious yeah. graduate fellowships. Right. And also, of course, National Science Foundation gives out graduate research fellowships. That's a huge program. And then there are a lot of private ones also. If I can share, when I was a grad student, the one, I got a few. Some are industrial donors they basically sponsored portion of our research lab and it supported several students. And I was one of the recipients. So that was more private donors, I would say. And I've also gotten one from the engineering school when I entered grad school. So that came with the entire package fellowship. And then I got another one that was very interesting. That was from GE. It's called the GE Faculty Intern Fellowship. And I applied for that one and I got it. It came with a lot of perks. It's not just covering your typical tuition stipend, it also gives you extra money to buy books or any. Academically related expenses, I forgot how much, maybe a few thousand dollars dollars—or and travels. In fact, yeah, I used it to go to conferences. And on top of that, if you do become a faculty, you get another, I believe, maybe $25,000 cash as, a, as part of the startup. And so when I applied, I had no idea I didn't want to become a faculty. I had no idea I was going to become one. But I eventually did become one. So I got that money. I carry that, that that money to my department and I put it as my startup fund.
2: Wow, I never knew about that.
1: Wow, that's so amazing. Does uh, that fellowship still exist? I don't think so. It was really a serendipitous finding. I think the department just somewhere, somehow, maybe the school, send out an email And I happened to read it. I don't read all the emails that come into the inbox, but that one I actually read. And I said, wow, that looks interesting. Why not give it a shot? So I did and I got it. And so it was really nice. And the title itself, I mean, future faculty, intern fellowship, just kind of give you that vibe. If you do actually aspire to be a faculty at some time, that is a great title that, to put on your resume. There's also
0: the Ford Pre-Doctorial Fellowship. Uh, this fellowship has the advantage of actually supporting you beyond your graduate school because it offers a postdoctoral fellowship that you can apply for once you go into your postdoc position. So that's also a really good one
2: yeah i also heard about gem fellowships that it's very prestigious and also it creates opportunity for the recipient to work at national labs department of energy or department of defense and also hertz fellowship so these are the other ones that i have heard of and i'm sure there are many many more of these prestigious fellowships so who should consider applying for these type of fellowships and what are the characteristics of a good candidate
1: I think if you are eligible you should apply. <laughs> Why wasting that opportunity if it comes. So but typically what I found is that if people if the students have excellence or aspire to be reaching certain level in research or in teaching whatever it is and they want to kind of use this funding or fellowship opportunities to to carry out your goals and objectives in that particular arena, then they should apply for it.
2: But Lucy, you mentioned that if you are eligible, So, many of this, to my knowledge, especially the US based one, they have very strict requirements. And I guess I mentioned earlier, fellowships are merit based. So, they put the limit on the GPA, for example, your GPA needs to be high. So, you have to look at the announcement for these fellowships. And it's not that everybody can apply, you should be at the minimum meet those requirements.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's very important to read the criteria that is necessary for that particular uh, fellowship. A lot of the government called ones, they are for US citizens only. And then the private ones usually are open to all.
2: So if somebody checks the announcement and they are eligible, so what are the next steps? What do they need to do to prepare their packet? What are your advice?
0: Well, now things have become a little bit more sophisticated in the sense that because it's become so competitive to get the Ford Fellowships and the NSF Graduate Fellowships, et cetera, some of these foundations and government and government sponsors are now hosting seminars and webinars that allow prospective candidates to come and learn about the do's and don'ts, the timelines, you are able to ask specific questions. So I think this is great. And I think it also, but on the other hand, I also think it makes it even more stressful because now everybody has the same information and now it's really on the candidate to really shine compared to the other candidates. So you really have to figure out, what is going to stand out in my application from all the other candidates that were on the call. And sometimes these calls are 200 plus candidates that are on a line listening in, trying to figure out how they can have a competitive edge. So I think the first thing to do is to look on the website of the sponsor to find out if they have any information, webinars, seminars that you can attend. Then I think the next thing is to contact maybe the graduate school where you are at your university or college to determine if there were any past recipients or award winners for that particular award. And then ask if those, if they're willing to share the names of those recipients, and then maybe see if you can reach out to them to see if they can give you any advice on what did they do that was different that made their application stand out. And sometimes if they're really comfortable, they may just give you what they submitted and then you even have more of a a better or a clearer idea of how to package your application. From there, I think you should start working backwards. If the application is due in six weeks then I think you should first thing is to find out about the letters of recommendation and notify your faculty members or your mentors or your advisors right away. I found that for me, it's very helpful if the candidate gives me a very short Excel spreadsheet with the deadlines, the date and the link, and they write up and give it to me. And some students give it to me on a jump, a USB drive. They just give me a USB drive with all of the information there. So I won't have to search around for my email for the CV and for their statement and all of this stuff of uh, some other students just shared a Google Drive with me or a Dropbox with me. That makes it very, very easy because most of the time faculty members are busy. And then you realize you have one week to turn in this recommendation letter for a student and you're searching your emails. You can't remember the student's name. It's all over the place. but knowing that I can just open up a OneDrive or Dropbox or USB makes it very easy. Although faculty members are very busy, I also believe that it's very important that you still go and talk to the faculty members. And I would try to do that during their office hours, his or her office hours, and not try to really make an additional time to go and talk to them. If you go during the office hours and then you just tell them a little bit about yourself, why you're interested, what you're thinking about. And those very brief conversations actually remain in the subconscious, especially when you're writing a letter at the last minute and you say, oh, I remember, you know, Panya came in and she told me that she always wanted to be a teacher and she was really passionate about it and this, that, and the other. So I found those very brief conversations, extremely helpful outside of them doing well in the class, it's really easy for us to go in our grade book and say, okay, this is he or she is in the top 10% of the class. Like those numbers, are, they're factual, but a lot of faculty members are going to say very similar things. So you really are trying to make sure you say something about the candidate that they say it to you personally through conversation. So I think preparation is very key. And then the last thing I'll say is having someone read your letter, like your, you know, your about statement or your research statement to make sure that it makes sense. That is coherent, that you hit all of the key points and that is clear and concise. I think that's also very important, especially if you have time to get people to read that.
2: Thank you, Camilla. You mentioned most of these good points. And also, I would like to remind our listeners to go and check our episode that it was on recommendation letters, because there are a lot that goes into these recommendation letters that also impact your packet. Also, I wanted to mention that uh, my personal experience recently, I was uh, working closely with a candidate and I learned a lot about these competitive fellowships, that it takes a lot of time of the faculty. Most of the time, students have some ideas about their research, but not necessarily writing a strong research. Maybe some students, they write wonderful research statements, but I think majority of the student, they need to get advice on the details of how to write these statements, mainly the research statement, not the personal statement. And also I learned that at least here in my institution, beside those webinars, there are specific workshops to prepare students because these fellowships are becoming more and more competitive. And I learned through working with this candidate that those internal workshops are also very, very helpful and they provide support, they review application packages and they give continuous feedback. And I think that everybody should benefit from this other resources available to them. And don't wait for the last minute. Prepare these applications way in advance. Some people, they start preparing them before the webinars of the agencies are available.
1: When did the, all these graduate level student fellowships start requiring research statement? Like very much like the faculty position applications right
2: yeah that's yeah exactly and that's why I'm I'm saying it requires the student to work closely with their advisor or at least with the faculty because I don't know how you can write a strong research statement with a hypothesis science question expected outcome this is like what we do in our proposals right yeah but, it's a lot but,
1: to ask out of a graduate student who doesn't really have the whole picture or perspective yet on exactly what research is. They haven't got that experience or exposure yet. Yeah. So I can I see your point about you have to work with your advisor, yeah, research advisor to get that nailed down and making sure at least the research is really considered as research not your own definition of research, but really research. And also exactly how this fits into your goal, right? It's not just how the research fits into your advisor's goal, but how it fits into your goal. So yeah, I can see how that is important. So how is that different from personal statement? Like we, if you apply for grad school, yeah, personal statement is required. How is a research statement different from personal statement?
2: My personal experience working with this candidate was uh, they required both research statement and personal statement. Research statement, basically you say that what you've done, what you are planning to do, why this work is important, what are the outcomes at the end of the day, and who should care, what are the broader impacts, what are the intellectual merits. You know, personal statement is basically demonstrating the growth. What is your vision for where you came from, how you became interested in this topic, and where you are going with this, and then what you can do with this, why you are worthy of getting this fellowship. And that goes back to him's uh, comment that make this personal and make it something that it's you. That's the opportunity that you can show that why you you deserve it. You can just say, maybe I'm the first generation in my family going for higher education or whatever is unique to you. What
1: kind of things can the package highlight in order to stand out? Like what are some things that can, when we work with students, for example, what can we do to help them to really highlight something that just so competitive. I feel like if you read them, I was never a evaluator, but <laughs> I would think that they would all look very much the same, I'm guessing except the research part where your research can be somewhat unique. But other than that, how do you make yours stand out? Are you referring to the personal statement? Just overall package. I would think everybody has a good GPA by the time they apply it, because there is a minimum requirement.
0: For me, I think personally to make it stand out is to show a track record of a commitment to do this, to obtain your ultimate goal, which is to get a PhD. You can show that track record or commitment through things you did prior to coming to graduate school. I've seen people talk about their volunteer work to make them more well-rounded and to pair them for social economic impact of the things they're doing in engineering or in, in the physical sciences, right? I've read cases where people talk about their tutoring experiences and how that led to them wanting to become a professor or an instructor, etc. So I think building on some very sincere personal connections are most helpful. I also think the integration of both the personal statement and the research, making sure that they connect. So if you say you always wanted to be a professor in your personal statement, then your research should reflect that you want to do some type of teaching during your fellowship experience to enhance that. So I think having The integration and a very sincere personal connection will allow your application to stand out.
2: Yeah. And also, Lucy, I've been in some of these panels for some specific agencies, not for all of the those prestigious ones that we mentioned. I think that people, they look at the entire packet. It's not just necessarily the research or the personal statement or GPA. These days actually people are kind of questioning if somebody's just Proudly talking about being a 4.0 GPA, that would question whether their personality is a good fit to become the future leader in, in the community. So, there is people they look at the entire packet, and then also diversity is becoming very important. Most agencies they are trying to diversify their recipients, and sometimes it's kind of difficult to talk about personal experiences in the personal statements. But some people they feel comfortable. I do remember that once I was reading a personal statement that it touched me a lot, and it was about this person that they strongly with addictions, and but managed to overcome that and become one of the best students in the entire school and then having this clear goal, how to help with people following that path. To me, it was very different than, oh, look at me, I'm a 4.0 GPA, but you know, it requires, I don't know, people, they feel like sharing this. Some people, they don't feel getting out of their comfort zone and write this in their statements. So, But my point is, every packet kind of becomes different when there are these personal touches. But if you say for engineering, saying that, yeah, I always like to break things and build things, (laughs) those are very boring and they don't get much attention even if their GPA is 4.0 and they have the best research statement.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I would also like to point out, sometimes just... uh list of items that are on the student CV uh, may not represent the full picture of a person. It doesn't explicitly say your character and how it builds you. It's just a line item. The reason I say that is because there are certainly a lot of students who have access to these potentially early research opportunities, but there are also a lot of students who never have that opportunity before the application. Once they get into it, they might be fantastic student researcher or future stars in our community. But because they never had access, doesn't mean that they were not good, right? It doesn't mean that they're less qualified. I think that's where that personal statement really needs to come out.
2: And I think you had a very good point that this is not just for top students, that they always had access to best resources. I think one of our messages of this podcast is look for these opportunities. Many, as I said, I never knew about these uh, type of things when I was a grad student. Just network, talk with other people. If you meet the requirements, just go for it. Thank you, Lucy and Kim, for a great discussion. I hope The graduate students who have been thinking about applying to these fellowships have found this episode useful.
0: Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. You can follow us on Facebook and listen to our latest episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts. If you're interested in being a sponsor, then please contact us at sponsor at thisacademiclife.org. Join us next time for the good, the bad, and the ugly of this academic life.